This is a Federal News Network podcast. Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. Have you been hearing about the National Patient ID? Do you know what it means about in terms of your health care, your access to health care, and what it means in terms of putting your data in a national database? Well, we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to talk about HIPAA. What does that really mean? A lot of consumers think that it's an it was something that was designed to protect consumers' medical privacy. Well, I think you're going to be surprised when you learn that that's really not the case at all. HIPAA does more to help share your medical information than it does to protect you. My guest is Twyla Braze. She is the co-founder, president and co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom, which is a nonprofit organization. And Twyla, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. It's so nice to have you on again. Well, thank you so much, Shirley. Now, let's just talk about, uh, first off, what does your organization do, if you can put it in a nutshell for our listeners? Sure. We protect uh, individuals' uh, choice of uh, medical care and coverage. We protect individualized patient care, so it's customized for you, and then the right of patients to medical and genetic privacy. And uh, that genetic privacy is an interesting one. We're not going to venture into that today, but we get to talk about that in one of these days because it's an sure. interesting one because you and I had a discussion in the past about your baby's um, genetic profiles and being collected, if I remember correctly. Is that right? That's correct. And there's actually a bill we're working on to try and get parent consent required for all federally funded research. Okay. Well, let's, right we'll now, talk about that. Gonna... We're going to do that another time because right now I think we've got a full plate talking about what what is the national patient ID. Um Give us a little now and, and give us a little background on what this what this is supposed to do. Before we went on the, okay. air, the air, you were talking about how it has evolved over the last 20 years. Yes, that's correct. And so it was part of the Clinton's Health Security Act. And of course, everybody knows that failed. But then two years later, it became part of HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. And so it was actually put into law, it is law today, that the federal government has to issue each one of us a a unique patient identifier, a federally issued national patient ID card. And, And, but, but because that sort of caused angst once people figured that out, Congressman Ron Paul, back in 1998, he put a prohibition into law saying that there could be no money for the funding or development of this national patient ID. And um, he put it on every year with every appropriations bill. But now he's gone, and the business community, the data community, the health care community who wants us all to have one single number to, to create one big database of all of our medical records, uh, they've come back, and now the U.S. House has lifted the ban on the national patient ID. It's in their appropriations bill. And the Senate 
has uh, is, is trying to decide what to do, and we as an organization are trying to convince the Senate that they must keep the prohibition. And as a matter of fact, we would like the unique patient identifier to be repealed entirely. And um, Senator U.S. Senator Rand Paul um, has a bill to do exactly that. And he, we might add, he is also a doctor, isn't he? An MD. A physician, yep, yep. he is. Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this patient ID, this national patient ID, would give each of us a number, like a Social Security number. It would be all part of a major database. Does that mean that all information that my doctor has on me would go into a national database? No, it's called a decentralized database. It's, it's being built through these state health information exchanges and the eHealth Exchange, which is a national health information exchange. And all of this data is staying where it is, like in your doctor's office or at the hospital or whatever, but it all becomes accessible to all of these entities over the Internet, and it would be accessible under one number so that you could see the patient's medical records from womb to tomb, as they say, right, from birth Mm -hmm. to death, all using one number. Why does this cause you concern, Twyla? There is something called confidentiality. And then there's this problem of HIPAA, and which I know we're going to talk about. But the short, the short answer is HIPAA took away your right to determine who could look into your medical records. Yep. Medical records are very sensitive. You have to say certain things so that your doctor can treat you the way you need to be treated. And there are just many sensitive things, even some things that are not sensitive for one person, are sensitive for another. Now there's genetic information, there's cancer diagnoses, there's uh, sexually transmitted diseases, behavioral issues, uh, mental health issues, and and just the fact that you have a right to have your information held confidentially within the four walls of the institution that you went to. But HIPAA and does not allow that. HIPAA does not allow that, right? Not now. And it, a does, lot of people can get access to my medical records. That's right. But it's, but that's wrong. See, that's wrong. And the, the fact of the matter is today we don't have something which the industry calls interoperability, which means that all of the electronic health record systems around the country would just easily interact with each other and with these state health information exchanges and with the e-health exchange, the national exchange. They, it doesn't happen. It's, it's not simple, it's not easy, and that's where they want to go so that everyone, the 2.2 million entities that can have access <gasps> through HIPAA, plus the government agencies, which aren't even in that number. And by the way, this is a federal number that was um, from a federal rule in 2010. So this is the federal government itself talking about these 2.2 million entities that can have access without your consent if those who hold your data choose to share it. Oh, you my have Lord. No, you have no choice. You have it's no opt-out. It's all up to them. So if, uh, unless, unless there is a stronger state law, like in Minnesota, which requires consent. But Minnesota has the strongest state law in the nation, and most states don't have one. They just rely on HIPAA because most state legislators think HIPAA protects privacy. <laughs> and so, yeah. But it doesn't. 
It doesn't. We know it that. That's the opposite. Yep. I know that from talking with you. That's just a way to share information about me and you and everybody else. Um, That's right. Which is, I think, was sold to consumers as a privacy measure. I have people say to me, oh, well, HIPAA protects my medical privacy. Wrong. I have to tell them that because they don't really understand what HIPAA does. Um, So anyway, it's a very interesting thing. Let's just uh, take a brief pause here. Excuse me to let our listeners know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Twyla Braze. Twyla is the uh, co-founder and the president of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom. And we're talking about the move to get a national patient identifier. Now, you all had put out a list of things of why this is a bad thing. But let me ask you, aren't there some things that could benefit consumers by having ready access to medical records, uh, treatment, if I have an emergency it's going to be available. It, what, what are the people who are pushing this say are the positive sides? I'm going to make you tell me that, and then we're going to talk about what you feel about it. Yes. Well, the other side says it gives them a full picture of the patient and everything that has happened to the patient. They say, like you do, that in an emergency you would have access to all of this information about uh, individuals even though they couldn't talk. Um, they say that it's an easy way to get your medical records and it's convenient and you don't have to worry about getting consent forms and and that kind of sharing. And so it can happen instantaneously that they could have access to your records. So that's what they say. Okay. Now you want to know what I say? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> so what I say to counter some of that is, one, people don't understand what the electronic health record is. I wrote an entire book on that called Big Brother in the Exam Room. And it shows how doctors have a hard time even finding the right information about you in the electronic health record because the health record is a data collecting and data reporting tool. It's not made for patient care. So it's not not made to make access by the doctor or the caregivers easy. It's made for all those other people who want to actually profit from my data that's right okay profit from your data analyze your data uh, profit from the analysis of your data right that's what it's made for so and the other thing is about emergencies so i'm an emergency room nurse if you have to go into an electronic health record or anywhere else to to uh before you can take care of a patient in the emergency room you don't belong in the emergency room there are just a few things that you do in the emergency room or that you make sure you don't do in the emergency room, like you never give anyone penicillin mm-hmm. as just one example because so many people are allergic to it, right? But clinically speaking, you should be able to treat anybody in the emergency room without their medical record. Um, and, and then, of course, it, it wasn't made to be easy anyway to look at, so, you know, to, <laughs> how long are you going to spend there right. in the electronic right. record hoping you can find whatever you're supposed to find? Things are hidden in the electronic health record, and that's what I show in my book. And so, um, and so then, let's see, you had another thing, convenience and interoperability and that sort of thing. Do you really want everybody and their mother who can have access to have easy, convenient access to everything you've ever told the doctor, every diagnosis that you've ever had, anything you've ever said about your son or your daughter that you happen to oh mention, my Lord. anything that the scribe has written. I have an entire section about scribes in the book. 
and how you should be able to tell them to leave mm-hmm. if you want a confidential conversation. Um, so because they just they're they're clicking away every word that you say. Oh, I don't, and it's I going don't permit out. that. I don't permit that. No, 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 no. But I know <laughs> that my doctor's office asks me a whole bunch of questions that go into a database. I refuse to answer most of them because I don't think they have anything to do with my care. So um, well, I understand completely and. Increasingly, they're giving you an iPad, and they want you to answer every That's question. Exactly they say right. you can't be. They say you can't be registered well, for your visit unless you've answered every question. So I don't answer them all. I just refuse. I just I don't well, answer I, them I all. refuse. Yeah, I, I do too. Yep. Well, let's talk about some of the individual issues that you all talk about here. For one thing, you know, there is no opt out of this. You have to be a part of this if this actually becomes law, if it's passed. Right. If it happens, then you have to be a part of it. You have no opt out of it. So your medical records, no matter what they say, are going to be available to this million and some organizations that have access, which is scary as all get outs to begin with. So if they're going to be more, they're going to be more readily available because they'll be under one number. Today under HIPAA, they are available if those who have them choose to share them, but if there is just a single number, they will be more readily available from wherever all those records happen to be. Oh boy. Uh, and they will be readily available to hackers who will look at this database under this single number, everybody with a single number, right? They'll look at this as such a wonderful, vast array of valuable information to tap into that you will not be able to protect it from the hackers. Wow. You won't be able to. So we we call this a national patient tracking number because that's actually what this is. It's a it's a national patient ID, it's a national patient tracking number. It is the last thing they need to build a record, a national medical record system that happens to be decentralized but still there because of the internet. Because of the way National it's being medical used. Record it can be, ex- That's right. It can be accessed no matter uh, who wants to access Where it you if are. they have permission. These million and some entities. It can be access from China. A oh hacker boy. from China. Oh, boy. Come into the system, right? Oh, yeah, and they do that all the time. So what are we? Okay. This really, you call it a data sharing without the consumer's consent, uh, which I guess, in, in effect, you're absolutely right. And that's what HIPAA really is, isn't it? I mean, as far as I know, what I know about HIPAA, it opened the door to doctors sharing your medical information with a whole host of people without your being able to decide. You can make some minor decisions, but would you describe what HIPAA actually does? What HIPAA does is it removes the consent requirements that used to be there, and it says that data can be shared for purposes like healthcare operations, which is a definition nearly 400 words long, a list of (laughs) nearly 65 different activities, Uh, payment and treatment, but those are also very broad definitions that are much more than people think that they are. Be shared for research without consent. It can be shared for 12 priority, national priority purposes, such as Um, organ procurement so that when your mother is dying in the hospital and somebody pops in and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about about, um, us taking her organs when she dies, you can wonder, well, how did that happen? Well, it happened because HIPAA allows a hospital to call the organ procurement organization without your consent. Um, 
judicial review, law enforcement, all sorts of things that can be done because of HIPAA unless a state law says no, a state privacy law says no. Now, I wanted to tell you that um, that the very first coordinator of, of the um, – the uh, national, uh, why can't I think? <laughs> That's so funny. The organization that oversees this in the government, yeah. and he was an, called the national coordinator, and uh, of health information technology. And he says this, and I wrote it in my book. Quote: You can't force a covered entity, which is. I'll just tell you, that's like the hospital, the doctor, Uh the health plan, anyone who holds your data, right? You can't force a covered entity to give your data to someone you choose, and you can't stop them from giving it to someone they choose. Okay, we're going to, on that note, on that scary note, you're you're listening to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Twyla Braze. She is the president and co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom. And we're talking about what HIPAA does and doesn't do and about the new being proposed national patient ID, which uh, would open your medical records to how many entities did you say, Twyla, over a million? 2.2 million plus government agencies. Oh, my God. Okay. 2.2 million? Yes. 2.2 entities. Entities. And that doesn't mean just people. That means an, a right. company, an organization, an agency, right. a business, someone that wants to right. make money and use my information, which I am not giving them permission for. They're going to take it anyway. Okay. That's a little bit scary. Um, okay. So some of the other concerns that you have about it is that the security of it, which you had mentioned, but this is a detailed history of your life. I mean, and if it's not written up accurately, boy, you're really going to be in trouble. Or if it is hacked and somebody goes in and changes your data. Um, And it, 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 you know, it really makes me think, well, this is probably the next step to socialized medicine. Would you think that that's part of it? Yes, and I think, you know, that is what uh, President Clinton and his wife wanted for this country. And so they are the first ones who proposed this unique patient identifier. They proposed that all of our medical data be computerized, and they proposed a national medical record system, all to um, build this national healthcare system, this socialized medicine system. So we believe that once you socialize people's health data, give them a government number under which all of it can be grabbed and and accessed and looked at and used, uh, then you come you you have built the foundation of a socialized medicine system. And, you know, one of the things that people often don't think about, but it doesn't take much for them to realize this is true, if this were to happen, you would never have a fresh, unbiased second opinion. Every doctor would be influenced by the doctor before because you would not be able to escape what one doctor said about you or your prognosis because it would be all available to any doctor you saw after that. So no matter Um, whether it was accurate or not, it's going to follow you around. Oh, my God. That's right. Yep. So it's really important for your listeners to, you know, contact their member of the United States Senate, their members of the United States because Senate. Because this say, bill, this bill has made its way through the House. It's been passed by the House, right? And it's, it's now in, in the Senate. And you were you were there testifying not too long ago. 
So I was I was giving a briefing to the top healthcare Senate committee because they're trying to decide what to do, and so they they need to be convinced. The senators need to be convinced to not give us all a government number under which all of our medical records can be found. So really, the the pressure can come from citizens who are concerned call your your senator's office absolutely and express your yep. and how can they identify this bill can they just say the national patient identify id bill they can say the national patient id okay. number maybe maybe they want to add number national patient id or national patient id number to stop the national patient id number mm-hmm. okay. national patient id well it, it certainly does raise some privacy concerns. I think as much as anything, with all the data breaches that we've seen, how, how vulnerable we are to the hackers, it really does cause concern because I can think of all kinds of nefarious uses that can be made of this, including selling organs of healthy people to wealthy, to right. wealthy people who want to buy your organ. And you don't want to give it up, but you know what? Somebody can come in there and get it. I mean, it's really... Okay, I guess that I'm probably a little bit of a privacy nut. Um, but nevertheless, I, I do respect the fact that we need good medical care. But is this the way to get it? I guess this is what consumers have to ask themselves, isn't it? Yes, well, and I would say that privacy is not as much about privacy as it is about control. So we say he who holds the data makes the rules. If you want to be in control and you want your doctor in control of what happens in the exam room, then you need to keep your privacy. I mean, imagine if the government knew everything that was happening in your house. How would that change anything or in your car or at work or anywhere? It's all about surveillance. Surveillance is a tool of control, and the way you protect yourself against surveillance, government surveillance, third-party surveillance, and their controls is to protect your privacy. So it's very valuable to having a republic, to having America as a land of the free. It's, it's essential. It's, it's not like a frivolous thing. No, having <laughs> some control. Important. That's right. Our personal information should be ours to control. And unfortunately, right. much of it has been given away already. And I guess this is this is what is looking to be the final step in giving it away. But you but this is part of I guess our listeners should know this is part of the appropriations bill, right? That That's provides right. the money to to federal the to fund the government. So if it's not passed, it's going to mean a government shutdown, and it's going to be because the House put this thing back in there? Well, it's going to, well, I'm hoping that the House will not be willing to shut down the government to give all of us a government ID for our medical records. Um, and so the, the real thing is that the Senate has to tell the House, no, we are not doing that. We're not giving everyone a national ID number. And, you know, and for your listeners to understand, no card, no care. That's what this means. If you don't have that number, you won't get access to care. So this is also a thing about freedom, right? If you don't have that number, you don't have that card, they won't care for you because everything will have to be done under that number. Oh, wow. So it's really important because this decision is going to be made before they all go home for Christmas. So time is short. It's time to call uh, the U.S. Senate, any U.S. Senator that you know or that represents you, and tell them no. And you can tell the House member as well. 
uh, no, to say no. No to the national ID. Gotcha. Well, Twyla, you've certainly given us something to think about, and I appreciate your taking the time to come on here. I know you've been a, you're a very busy lady. You're a very accomplished author and, and speaking to issues of privacy for consumers um, around the world, actually. So anyway, we thank you so much. You've been listening to Off Consuming Interest. My guest has been Twyla Braze. She is the president and co-founder of the Citizens Council for Health Freedom. And they have something you might want to check out at their website, the Patient Toolbox. It is cchf.org. Am I right? So that's it. Thank you. This is Shirley Rooker. Thank you for joining us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.